tuned into the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. We want you, your loved ones, and anyone you know who needs a helping hand to find success in recovery and live the life they deserve. And now, here's your host, James Healy. All right, this is James, and welcome to the show. I'm here to help you turn your addiction recovery challenges into successes and freedom from everything that's keeping you from living the life you deserve. I check in with innovative addiction recovery experts, and we get to hear directly from them what is working today for addicts in recovery, for their families, their friends, and maybe we can help provide some industry insight for other experts too. Are you a parent? If so, and your child has not begun to experiment with drugs or alcohol, it is most likely just a matter of time. And then, what do you do if your child falls into the trenches of destructive decisions? This question has led to many sleepless nights for parents everywhere. My guest today, Dr. Annette Edens, left the world of finance to retrain as a psychologist when it became clear that her interests were more about people than investments. She joined the faculty of a small private university where her research increasingly spotlighted the inadequacy of traditional treatment models to address the growing crisis of adolescent substance abuse. After the death of her youngest daughter, she dedicated herself to saving adolescents' lives, and this became her calling. She joined a group of passionate parents and advisors to develop and open a sober high school, which has since grown into an exemplary model for recovery schools around the country. In her new book, From Monsters to Miracles, Dr. Edens offers solutions for families dealing with adolescent substance abuse. Even if your teen is not ready or willing to change, there is help and hope. How are you doing today? I am doing great, James. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing really good, too. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you um, are here and joining me to talk about uh, this most important topic of uh, teen drug and alcohol abuse and how parents struggle with these issues. And... It's always kind of been an issue, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah, for a long time. But is this on the rise? Do you see more uh, use happening? You know, it does seem to be on the rise. We get these uh, reports that, oh, great, you know, marijuana use is down, but then that means, you know, heroin use might be up, and now heroin use is down, and then it's this cush stuff, you know. So it, it's it's almost as though the stuff that kids are doing gets more dangerous, even if the number of kids who get um, sucked into the world of addiction isn't necessarily growing. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, there's something replacing. Right. You know what they're giving. I mean, when I was younger, there weren't too many options, especially where I lived. And maybe that was lucky for me because I have a pretty addictive right. personality. <laughs> and somehow I, I managed to stick to drinking and uh, bad, right. bad marijuana. Well, now, marijuana is stronger, and there's a lot more options right. out there for those kids. Right. So. Well, and a lot of the issue is also a the age that kids are doing things. I mean, it 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 used to be that kids would start getting into marijuana. You know, they drink a little in high school, get into marijuana in college, and you know that was not quite as scary as having a 12-year-old who is drinking every day and smoking weed and starting to to get into other drugs because the brain is just at a different level of development and it's going to mm-hmm. do some serious damage to their ability to kind of get through that phase of their life. Right, yeah. So every, everyone's starting earlier. I think yeah. I saw somewhere like a third of eighth graders are, are trying alcohol anyway. So. It's quite a few. It was it was a little harder to get, I think, when I was a kid. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, you know what? That's an interesting uh, observation because it's not alcohol is 
less frequently used by kids now than other drugs because it's easier to carry other drugs. I mean, you can carry a joint or a pill or, you know, whatever without it being so obvious. It's just kind of hard to carry alcohol around. Besides, it smells and, you know, so you can take a pill and it doesn't seem to be, um, people may notice that you're acting a little bit weird, but it's just a little easier to go undetected. We just recently moved from Colorado where, of course, marijuana is taking over, right? And so the edible thing must be a big deal with adolescents. Well, it really is. I took a group, I went with a group of teens to Colorado for a, um, for a mountain climbing trip last summer and it was really a blast. But listening to the kids talk on the bus about the edibles and it just almost sort of knowing that that's all out there and legal if they just got, of course it wouldn't be legal because most of them were like no. underage anyway, but, uh, but they, but they're, it just, it's, there's such a draw to it. Right. Yeah. Well, the yeah. huge curiosity factor. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Absolutely. And then, like you say, it's easy to, it's portable and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a cookie looks like a cookie. It could be at lunch and right. in school and <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating right. a marijuana cookie right. and no one would really know except you. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. It's pretty wild. All right. Well, before we get into your book and some more, uh, you know, a deep dive into a lot of these issues, can you give us a little of your um, backstory? How did you end up in oh. this path of helping people with addiction? Because I think this was not your original right, no. path, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, my my original path was, uh, I took the slow route to growing up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> me too. To say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I did have some a period of time like during college and right after college when I was using drugs and I, but I was also working and supporting myself and functioning independently but not functioning particularly well um when I decided that I needed to stop using it was really just a decision and so mm-hmm. I, I really don't have the the uh, addict um uh, sort of dynamic in my brain, mm-hmm. but I do, but I did have that period of just finding it really enticing and wanting to try things. And it, it and it was not a particularly successful experiment for me, but um, I also was working in the business world and uh, sort of trying to figure out how to find my joy and looking for it to be somewhere other than inside me. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this person or this thing, or if I could only accomplish something else that I would feel the, it sort of feel that, fill the hole of, of emptiness that, mm-hmm. uh, that I was just experiencing. I think so many of us do as we're growing up, just trying to, trying to get complete. And, um, so it took me a long time to do that, but I remember I didn't actually start having children until I was 30, which is nothing these days, but back in <laughs> my day, it was, it was called advanced maternal age. They had a sign on the door of my hospital room, advanced maternal age. <laughs> I had to have an EKG before they would admit me. It was really right. weird. You know, like I, nobody 30 had ever had a child. Um, right. But, uh, but when I went back to work, it, it sort of changed the way I looked at things. I was not so interested in investments and what happened uh, to um, interest rates and profitability and the time value of whatever investment we're making. I started getting interested in what was happening with the people. And I just kind of made this shift from, from numbers. And I was a math major in college. I was just quantitative. And, Mm -hmm. and then I, and I started shifting into, you know, really the heart realm and finding that relationships were just so intensely important. And, um, it was during that period of my life that I decided I needed to retrain and focus my career somewhere else. So that was my first sort of mini uh, shift in my career. So that's what kind of got uh-huh. me. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> got me going in a different direction. And fortunately, I was able to uh, go to graduate school and work part time and you know, with three kids and it was, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, they do their homework. I do my homework, you know, it, right. uh, it was pretty chaotic, but, but kind of in a fun way, you know, sure. we all went to school. All, all sharing. Yeah. And the school experience. Mm-hmm. 
And then how did you get on your path with helping, um, I guess, you started helping adolescents before you wrote uh, your book From Monsters to Miracles for, for parents, but you learned how to help parents through your help with adolescents, right? Well, I did. And um, mostly I got there because I had adolescent children. And, okay. yeah. um, and I started really seeing how tough their world was. And they weren't very willing to let me see that. Um, uh, I was, I was uh, baffled by some of the, some of the behavior and really couldn't understand how it is that they could, you know, teenagers just cannot seem to feel and think at the same time. So if they have mm-hmm. a problem they're working on, if it, if there's any emotional component, they just can't get the logic around it. You know, so you can ask them a, a very complicated logical question when they're in that sort of intellect realm and they're okay. But then you ask them something when they're upset and they just go berserk, you know? And so I I would think, what were they thinking? What are they thinking? And they're not thinking they're feeling beings. And so, uh, you know, I, I ended up with one of my children sort of experiencing a, um, she wasn't an addict, but she was struggling with some things. And we, and we went into a program that, uh, the parents and the kids got involved and sort of learned a lot about what the adolescent world was like and, and we, we learned together. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was a wonderful experience for me. And, uh, I was working as a psychology professor at the time and I started researching this route to treat, to effective treatment for teens because mm-hmm. most people see their teen acting weird and they th- the first thing you think is oh well they're just a teen and teens act weird and right. how much is normal <laughs> and how much isn't you know is it's a, that's a hard line to sort of tease out and then you take them when you decide they need help you take them to the person that seems to have the most uh training so you kind of mm-hmm. start, go to an MD and then a PhD and then a marriage and family therapist and then a, a clinical social worker. And you try all these different things and nobody can figure out what's wrong. And what really is wrong is that they're smoking weed to go to sleep and snorting cocaine to get up in the morning. And they're just not going to be very nice people if that's what they're doing. You know? right. <laughs> but the person that can... The side effects. Right, but, but, but the person who can actually uh, recognize that is either another teen or a chemical dependency counselor, or a, somebody that's in that field, and mm-hmm. so because nobody in tra- you know in, in my training and all those years we we didn't talk about addiction. I mean, who wants to talk about addiction? People don't like right. to work with addic- addicts. They don't pay the bills, you know, <laughs> and, right? And they don't show up on time or at all. <laughs> And uh, right. <laughs> it's a terrible population to work with unless you're in, you know, and working with the kids who have uh, drug problems is just absolutely beautiful because there's nothing more, um, it, nothing like a parent who is on a path to, to help their kid. Help their that, kid. That yeah. Right. Anything. And that's just such a beautiful thing to see. But most of what we do naturally as parents to try to help our kids isn't very effective. In fact, it's counter-effective. And so that's kind of how I got going with it was this is just this is news that the rest of the world needs of, you know, what what to do with kids when they start having problems. Right. Right. OK. Um, before before we get into your book, I have one more question. too. Yeah. So you started a sober high school. Is that right? I did. I mean, when I le- I took a sabbatical from uh, the university I was teaching at and and uh to start a high school in a there's a church in Houston that had been the sort of central place where the Palmer I don't know if you've heard of PDAP P, uh, some people call it PDAP Palmer drug abuse program started mm-hmm. it, it became sort of a big um a big uh, a well-known organization at one point and it had started at this uh, Palmer church and the um and so there continued to be some work there with teens and and drugs and parents and stuff and um and one of the several of the people that were involved in that program um started talking to me because I'd been doing some research on this treatment angle and 
they said, well, what we really need is a high school for the kids to go to because they go to treatment. They go away to residential treatment and they come back and they go in their same high, into their same high school. That's where, right. that's where their drug dealer goes to school. That's where they're, you know, that's where they do their drugs, you know. They're right. And yeah, so, they're right back in. Right. It. And they're right in the middle of it. And to expect them, they're social creatures, you know, to expect them to go back and be the, the dork that sits alone at the lunch table and doesn't <laughs> talk to anybody, you know, they're not going to do that. So, right. so they're, um, so although actually in recovery, a lot of them, really relish that role of being the kid that sits alone at lunch and observes how crazy everybody else is. But that's a different right. story. Right, get a little self-righteous yeah. about it. Sure. All right, we're going to take a quick one-minute break here, and uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, which is the Addictions Academy. The, the Addictions Academy is the nation's leading accredited addiction treatment services and sober coaching intervention training academy and uh, if you are looking to get into the addiction recovery field maybe as a sober or recovery coach or if you're looking to up your game and boost your skills for your current practice uh, you can get some new training there they have some amazing faculty and staff with decades of experience and they have some great comprehensive coursework that's going to really give you those tools and resources that you need to, to really take your, your practice to the next level. So give them a call, 800-706-0318, or check them out at theaddictionsacademy.com. Again, that's theaddictionsacademy.com. And now back to our show. But the recovery high school was just, you know, we, several of us started uh, talking to, uh, there was a recovery high school in Minnesota near where Hazelden was. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, so we sent some people up there to sort of observe that, check it out and see what it was about. And, and um, we got together a group of parents and, and uh, people from the Palmer church and myself and one other uh, high school a person from a, one of the uh, private high schools in Houston, and and just started developing this school, mm-hmm. and uh, hired a headmaster that was a man in recovery who was uh, running a school in a hospital, and um, and didn't have any idea what we were doing, but we knew that it was it, even if it was just a place to hold the kids, so that they didn't have to be around their old uh using friends that it would be better than having a having them go back to their schools, schools. Right. and so um but it has actually uh I stayed on the board for several years and uh the school has developed into it is now the largest and most successful sober high school in the country that's so cool that's amazing yeah it's i've heard very exciting yeah, yeah. I, of course, there are only like 45 sober schools in the country, which is a sad thing. It, but, it is a sad thing, but I think it's on the rise. I think I've heard that yes, you know, there is. are more and more you know, opening as we move along. Right. Well, people are really recognizing the importance of it because we have this alternative school system where kids get in trouble in school and they go to the alternative school, which is like a little, usually sort of like a little prison. Right. And, <laughs> and, they, and, and it's like we know prison doesn't work. And so why do we think alternative school? But it doesn't work, you know, and so the kids don't get better. They do want to go back to their school and they do go back to their school all the time, but they aren't necessarily better. Right. So so a lot of the school districts are interested in trying to develop a new model, which is a really exciting. That's so that's really exciting. That's that's yeah. excellent. All right. Well, uh, let's um, talk about your, your book, some from Monsters to Miracles, Parent Driven Recovery Tools at Work. And um, what led you to write this? Well, what really led me to write it was that I found myself saying the same things over and over and over to parents. Mm-hmm. And that it was almost like, a, it, so I started doing workshops. So instead of seeing, 
15 parents and telling them all the same thing. I'd just get 15 parents together and we'd have this conversation. And so then it was even richer because we had their, you know, each other's feedback and, you know, it, it sort of developed into these pods of workshops that I would do. And then, um, and then I started thinking, well, if I made this into some sort of a, a, a course that people could teach, then they could use my workshops and teach it and I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be dependent on me doing Mm -hmm. it. And then, but it, but that seemed like too much work. (laughs) So (laughs) I wrote a book. Right. Uh, well, next is the course. Next is the course. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you yeah. can do that from this book. That's awesome. Before parents would start a conversation with their kids about drug and alcohol use, what would they have to do first? think that's the most people's big question you know like what do I do to first approach them and start talking about it well I, I think the most important thing for parents what's such an interesting question yeah nobody's ever asked me that question but I think that the <laughs> I think that the hardest part for parents when they're they're getting ready to have that conversation with their kids is how do they do it and be honest you know, what, what, what if my kid starts asking mm-hmm. me about my own drug use? What if my kid starts asking me, well, what was it like when I was a teenager? And how much do I tell them? And so many parents have this vision, um, or this concept of parenting where they're supposed to be, uh, these icons of virtue that are the, um, supposed to be the, the, the the blueprint for their child to to aspire to but it's false because i mean it's not attainable um and so the kids don't get a chance to see that their parents are imperfect and it's been through their uh discovering solutions that they've become the good people that they are i mean if the kid in fact thinks they're good people which they may not at that point but um but to face the to be willing to be honest and have it be a real conversation with their child. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that's the preparation. Yeah. And that can be, that can be tough. I know and in your book, you, yes. you, t- you talk about um, honesty and, and lies and, you know, kids are, are right. good at, at lying. They're used to it. I, You're so, and they're good at, they're good lie detectors too. <laughs> yeah. I think you can tell when I'm you lying. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 You know, and it's funny because my son, who's three and a half, he are, he's already fibbing and I don't know where he got that from, but he just right. does it just kind of naturally. And I know yeah. he's fibbing. I'm like, right. what are you doing? So he's already practicing <laughs> for when he's a it's teenager. Just like, <laughs> it's just such an, it, it, it's just such a natural way to avoid something you don't want to deal with. You know, it's just like, Oh no, I didn't do that. <laughs> that, that wasn't me. me. That's, that you was know? the dog. I'm like, what? No, it could have been right. a dog. Right. And then pretty soon I said, Oh, that's not my weed. Uh, somebody put that in my backpack, you know, which is every, I've, how I've, many I don't times? know how yeah. many times I've heard that <laughs> Come up with a new one, please. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and your book is, has a lot of great stuff in it. And what I think one of the other big questions parents might have, um, of course, your the brain is developing at this point, and right. it's probably even more susceptible to being trained into kind of an addiction state, isn't it? Yes. It really is that this is the, you know, we used to think that once your brain kind of got formed in those first uh, formative years of your life, that there was no other period of real brain growth. But now what we realize is that this uh, second period of brain growth and development is not necessarily growing so much in size, but in the way that the neurons connect and the way that the um, the processes work it changes in just vastly. Mm-hmm through adolescence and actually all the way from from 12 up to age 25 so we have this new concept of adolescence extending mm-hmm. well into 20 it used to be everybody was like you know married had kids and were halfway through their career by the time they're <laughs> right. 25 and now we realize well they're still adolescents still growing know? up so i don't know no, yeah sure. It's a good thing we live so long because we get to get out of <laughs> Finally, adolescence. Right. Which is yeah, nice. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then parents right. also might have questions about what to do about the 
their child's peers. You know, there's like you said when they right. may, maybe they go to treatment or they have some sort of you know intervention or whatever it is. Some thing, that, right. but then they go right back right. to their school and they're surrounded by their peers who are you know helping cause right. their tra- their challenges. It it is a very difficult question, and I have never seen a parent really uh, effectively be able to interfere in a in a teen's friendships and and have right. it work. Um, it it almost is like the Romeo and Juliet thing, where the more the parents uh, push for change in friendships, the more solid those right. friendships is. They unite against a common enemy, you know. And so the so what what many people are doing around the country is when their child goes away to residential treatment, they follow it by a period of residential boarding school. Mm. Um, because they don't have local programs that offer alternatives uh, for peer activities. And, you know, you can't pick healthy kids for your teen. The kids that we look at and we think, oh, what Johnny is such a nice little boy, you know, well, that that may not be such a nice little boy. And, on the, and also... Uh, Johnny, if he is just this um, virtuous little kid, is not going to have is going to be totally manipulated by this uh, kid coming out <laughs> right. of treatment who is very good at manipulating right, yeah. people. So you d- you want him to be able to be around peers who actually get it, the, who understand him, who have had problems and and are and are committed to. Uh, a stronger way of a stronger set of decision uh, making tools. And, and so uh, sometimes the therapeutic boarding school is the interim answer uh, to, to give the child's brain enough time to, uh, to create healthy Mm -hmm. habits. You know, it just takes a long time to create a habit. And so, and, and we're all about habits. And so, you know, you can't go for 30 days to treatment and have a new habit. You, you have some insights, but then your habits are the same. You're still going to go, uh, you know, on January 2nd, most of us still bypass the gym and <laughs> right. stop at the donut yeah, shop. Exactly. You know? I mean, it's just not a habit. So um, in spite right. of our intent. So uh, so the peers are hard. But one of the things that's happening has happened in Houston and in some other cities around the country is uh, groups called alternative peer groups. And they are... Uh, recovery support communities for teens and their parents that create sort of the village within okay. the village. They're kids who have been, uh, been, you know, sick in their addictions and have found, uh, found their way into recovery and then are, serve as the sort of mentors for incoming newcomer mm-hmm. kids. And, um, and, and so they have, after school every day, they all hang out together. And after uh, every Saturday, they hang out. Every Saturday night, there's a social function. And so the program that I work with is called Cornerstone Recovery is a is a program that does that. We have an adventure program because the kids need to have that, that a way to satisfy that um, risk-seeking uh, tendency sure. that they have. And they don't need to go out and 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 commit felonies to have fun. They can Rock go ride a mountain bike yeah. through the woods yeah. and start, <laughs> you know. And, and and it's still scary and you can get hurt, but it's not gonna land you with a, a felony conviction. <laughs> so Hopefully not. So so what we try to do is just keep the kids really busy with a um in a healthy culture. So if they have a recovery high school to go to and then they after school, they go all hang out together and then they go um, do some of these, you know, sometimes it's yoga and sometimes it's rock climbing and, you know, whatever kinds of activity they do. Sometimes they just do scavenger hunts or and they're off the wall scavenger hunts. They're not like you're go find see if somebody's got a hard boiled egg. I mean, they're pretty off the wall. And um, 
And in fact, at one point I had to say that there were no more scavenger hunts unless I approved the list. And the top of the list had to say you're disqualified if you do anything illegal <laughs> because, you know, you give the kids like, oh, yeah, I have a scavenger hunt. It'll be fun. And they just they can come up with the most bizarre things that you would think. <laughs> wouldn't you know? Did you just crawl out of the woods? No. Right. You know, you can't do that without jeopardizing your health. And, right. you know, anyway. So, yeah. outside the box. So <laughs> if you. Yes, a few broken ankles and, you know, <laughs> mishaps like that and a arrest for indecent exposure and stuff like that. You know, we finally have gotten it out. scavenger yeah. hunt. I had to yeah. put some Something rules on that. That's, that's funny. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, we say, but, it's, uh, but it is a really amazing thing to watch kids, how much they need the love and support of their peers. And they can hear from their peers what they cannot hear from their parents. In fact, that's another thing that parents get very frustrated mm -hmm. about. They'll say, I have told my son over and over again that X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. And, and, and then pretty soon the son comes walking in and says, Hey, you know, my buddy here told me X, Y, and Z. It's really brilliant. <laughs> right. you know, you I've been telling <laughs> you, you just, that. You know, like it, it, what happened there, right. you know? But, but yeah, it's true. coming from it's a different true. source. Yeah. 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 Well, we have a lot of credibility as parents when they're teens, unless they ask us for something, you know, unless they ask for help right. with something. Then they, you know, you know, they trust us. But basically, our views about what's socially acceptable or what's uh, morally acceptable, or you know, uh, for a long time we didn't couldn't even come to an agreement about what constituted a sexual right. act. Right. You know, I mean, it was like, oh, I, no, I, I've never had sex because I've never had intercourse, you know. And just, so you're wait just like, minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> let's, let's rethink right, this. Right, yeah. yeah. And like, with all things, when you are, I am sure, asking them or um, encouraging them to take a certain path or do a certain thing, they're automatically putting up some sort of defense and saying no. It's like that. I don't want you to hang out with this guy anymore. Oh. They're, that's the guy they're going to hang right. out with, or I don't want you to do this activity or whatever, eat, yeah, eat this food or whatever are, it is. They're going to just do that. Right. The, those kinds of comments or judgments or uh, edicts tend to just push them underground mm -hmm. so that they, so that they continue doing those things just out of your awareness. And, and then thus they have to right. lie so that, so that they don't get caught by the narc. <laughs> That is their parent, right. you know. Uh, it, it's just the way that they think until they get into recovery, and so um, yeah. And so many parents uh, are so outraged right. at their child's behavior that they become angry, hostile people, and 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 so they're screaming at their child, or they may hit their child, or they may, uh, um, you know. Throw ice water right. on them to try to wake them up in the morning, and I mean, do things that are really um, demeaning. Like you'll never amount to anything. You're just worthless, and things that are truly damaging long term right. to that relationship. And um, and so once a parent gets into that, then it's almost like you have two teenagers that you're right. dealing with. Because that parent who's become so frustrated really regresses to a so to an adolescent state, trying to control. I mean, and and it's so hard because you know your teen has your heart in their hands, and and are, and just they can look at you and smile and crush it without a thought, right. and and it's so painful. And yet, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And and you try to stop them because you think you know what's right for them, and and it and it's um, it you know, so it's it's a yeah. it's a very complicated process of trying to establish an honest relationship right. with them. In, in your book, you talk about finding your power. Is this where you would start to focus on and figuring right. out where where you do have your power right. in this situation as a parent? Right. Can, Right, Can exactly. Can you walk us through a little bit of yeah. how we might find our power to start? 
helping our our team yes, in the way yes. we want to help them. Well, I'll tell you, one of the ways that I personally found some power in parenting was I used to um, ha- have difficulty saying no to my children. I just wanted to be able to be the parent that would do anything for their child, you know, which is really uh, not a smart way to parent, but um, but that's kind of the way I looked at it. And so um, when I started just saying, this is the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be in a sane household. Nobody's going to be disrespectful to each other. And if you choose to be disrespectful or dishonest, um, you can't live here. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to live here in sanity. Right. And um, I'm not going to live with the craziness. And so, um, what? Now that's the extreme. Right. You know, sometimes you don't have to go to that point. Um, for me, when I reached the point where I was able to say, "No, if you if you want to, um, you know, simple things like call Domino's for a pizza. If you want a pizza, you have to make the call yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I would even have to almost be shocked at hearing those words come out of my mouth because I was so used to doing for them everything they wanted. Right. Right. And it was easier to just do it than to end up in some power struggle with them. (laughs) But when I, when I decided to quit negotiating, there's no discussion about it. No. Yeah. You know, and, and because when you start to negotiate or just defend, we really like for our children to buy into our argument. So we want to say no because da 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 da, and we go off on this tangent. And they're not all they're looking for, for the most part, is how to argue back. They're looking for the loophole. Yeah. It's kind of like the presidential right. debate, you know. It's like where can I throw where can in a pivot and that'll yeah, change the, right. the subject, the topic? <laughs> this yeah. is hilarious, right? And so and so they're not really trying to discuss. You think you're right. discussing, but they're not. So when you just say, no, this isn't something I'm going to discuss with you. This is just what I am yeah. saying. No, you know, period. That's so That's funny it. because my and son, who's three and a half, is, is doing that to us all the time right now. Yeah. Like he's learning right. already how to work exactly. us when he's older. <laughs> you know, my grandson, when, I mean, I was so grateful that I had had, you know, my Poor children had to suffer through me as a parent, and you know I don't know how they I don't know how they did it, but now I have a grandson. So you know my grandson one time when he was about three years old, I picked him up and he wanted to go buy a new toy, and I said no, right. you know we're not going to buy a new toy just because you want a new toy. We got lots of stuff to do. We're going to have fun, and he started crying, and I said, well we're not going to get a toy, and he cried harder, and finally I looked at him and I said. Do you think that if you keep trying, I'm going to go get a toy? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, well, that doesn't work with me. And he said, oh, okay. And he stopped crying. That was that. I mean, we never lived that episode. Uh, you know, funny. It, was, it was just like, now I understand what's happening. You're trying to make me uncomfortable enough to just yeah. give in. And uh, <laughs> it, starts, it starts early <laughs> and then it uh-huh. continues right through adolescence, right? It does. Yeah, my my son does that now, and we actually <laughs> you, you talk about the grandma thing. We we talk about having my mom come and stay for a while and training <laughs> because she's so much better at at that <laughs> than, than us. We, especially she's me, I give in. Yeah, you know? I give in far too easily. Yeah. So anyway, well, yeah. it's hard, and 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 giving in now, you know, it doesn't seem like it's uh, going to have so many consequences, but there is going to have to be a point. Where you decide, okay, now I need to be, I, I need to not be the sort of doormat, right. you know, for my child. You know, I need to now really have a a voice in how things go in my house. And it's harder to do, harder to establish right. later. Right. But it's doable. I mean, it's definitely doable. My, uh, my grandson told me that his, uh, he, he didn't like the way his, mother made him go to his room and he said you know she's so mean <laughs> i said yeah i'm sure she's so mean i know this girl she's really right. a sweetheart and uh and and uh, he said uh he said yeah uh i said well i wonder if you maybe were doing something that 
that she was reacting to that she was asking you not to do. And he said, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so he, but, but he thought about it all in video game terms. He said, well, you know, I can, I can act out and, and, uh, and my mom gets mad at me and tells me to stop it. And then I do it again. And then she'll tell me to stop it again. And I can get to a level five before she sends me to my room. (laughs) And then when I get up to a level five of misbehaving, then I leave my room. And then when I come back out, I can't misbehave again or I'm back in my room. I said, oh, so you can control right. it. Uh. And he said, well, but I don't want to control, you know, but so she's given him five levels uh. of misbehaving. <laughs> right. And, you know, why do we need yeah. five levels? Just the first Just time, say, yeah, get your room. You know, not to Cut and dry. Yeah. Straightforward, right. yeah. But and we, that's. That helps you keep your power, yeah. right? Now, does this manipulation start to lead towards the, you know, codependency where eventually you're trying to do, you just agree to everything because you think that'll help change them? Well, you want them to be right. happy. We want them to have self-esteem. We want them to feel good about themselves. And so when we get this sense that they're in pain, we want to fix that. So if they've actually dug themselves into a hole where they're having some pain, they didn't do their homework or they're, um, they have, you know, done something that's hurt a, a friend's feelings or they've, you know, I don't know what a variety of things, but when they are, have found themselves in a position where they're kind of can't figure out what to do, we are great at rescuing. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go to the school and say, oh, Oh, well, he didn't do his homework because I had him busy doing something else and, or, you know, I accidentally took the homework with me to work. I mean, people make up all kinds of stories and start lying for right. their kids. And because they don't want the kid to have to suffer any consequences. And, and that's where that really, and then the kid learns to manipulate that system. You know, I, I, forgot my lunch at school so mom takes off work goes home gets the lunch takes it to school misses you know two oh, hours work, in the middle yeah. of the day and 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 then the child is happy so does the child feel like it's necessary to remember their lunch no if if i forget my lunch mom right. won't get it you know so they don't get that and and um and then the parent begins to feel uh as though they're being Mm-hmm. used you know they feel that that lack of gratitude for the effort that you know i after i went all the way home and brought you your lunch you're not even grateful for that and of course they're not it's what you're supposed to do you're the right. mom and so this pattern just gets until it's festering and the kid is thinking why are you so annoyed with me all the time and the mom is thinking why don't you ever appreciate anything i do and everybody's full of resentment mm-hmm. and it's 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 real unhealthy but what does the mom do she does right. more because she wants the child to be happy so it just it, it's like a spiral that goes yeah, nowhere it- Except and the only thing yeah. I was going to say, I've seen these habits, <laughs> this, this type of behavior become so ingrained that parents are doing this with their kids when their kids are in their 30s. You, you know, it's Absolutely. like continuing on Absolutely. for years and years. It is such, it, I, I, it's almost for me, my codependency is almost at the cell mm-hmm. level, you know. So when my daughter calls me and says, Mom, can you do such and such can you can you pick my son up from school tomorrow or whatever and i have to say no because i have something like you know a radio show (laughs) you know so you know i have a stupid thing that i can't just throw away and um but i always say you know i know this is ridiculous but it really makes me feel bad to have to say no to you but I do have to say no. And she just laughs and says, you know, you, you, it is ridiculous, mom. You can it's say fine. no. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, I told her one time that I was, I knew that she was going to have a great time making fun of me in my old age. And she said, oh, no, I have a great time <laughs> right making now. fun of you now. <laughs> I'm not waiting. <laughs> <laughs> to your face. I mean, I don't, I don't do it behind your back. It's fun to, to make fun of you in front of your face. So, awesome. anyway, yeah. Okay, now, what about the united front? I think parents often have a really, they really struggle with this one, right? Oh, man, that is so, so tough. 
it, it's so easy when you start having a problem with your child to start blaming mm-hmm. each other. You know, one of you inevitably is going to be uh, a little stricter and the other one is going to be a little softer. And so the soft one thinks, oh, you were so strict, you know, that I've got to be even softer <laughs> now because his feelings, his, he's not going to have any self-esteem. You know, he's going to feel unloved. And then and then the strict one goes, Ugh, she's so spoiling this child that I've got to be even stricter now because I've got to, you know. And so they're really kind of balancing each other out, but getting further and further polarized. Sure from each other and most of the time by the time I see a family the parents literally hate each other they're on the brink of divorce Mm. and they're only staying together mostly because they've spent all of their money on treatment for this kid and they can't afford a divorce and so uh, which is that the average family has spent over a hundred thousand dollars in in their cash savings before they get to effective treatment I mean it's just so sad because insurance doesn't do much to help with this right. problem. So so they um and, and so they're really frustrated and angry with each other. And so what I what's important to do there is when people try to do family therapy with a family where everybody's blaming everybody else, it's 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 like a tennis match. Uh, the tennis match from hell. It's so horrible. And everybody's saying, "Yeah, but she did this. Yeah, but he said that." And and um and, and you can't really, uh, or maybe somebody can. Maybe there's somebody out there, a brilliant therapist out there that can do it. I find that I have to say, okay, everybody right. stop. Everybody needs to go work on themselves. I will not hear uh, one member of the family say what's wrong with the other. We don't take each other's inventory. We don't criticize and judge each other. We talk about what we could have done right. better what we're committing to doing better and not taking the inventory of the other person. And so once the family gets to where they can do that, then they can come together and begin to understand each other a little bit better. And, um, and, and it's uh, phenomenal to watch it happen where they actually fall back in love with each other and they actually do remember what it was about each other that was so wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's those differences that are so wonderful, but they're so frustrating, right? Yeah. right? And so, you know, it's like, I want you to be like me when I want you to be like me, but then otherwise I don't want right. you to be like me. So, I don't know. I mean, how is that going to work? It's just not. It's yeah. tough. Okay, how about how about yeah. rules and, and consequences? I mean, setting rules it can be really right. challenging with adolescents, and then having some sort of consequences like do yeah. they get grounded? Do they lose their phone? Do they, you know, whatever it is, and what yeah. what works? And, what really works? Because so much of that doesn't. Well, you know, you kind of yeah, right. It, it's it's like you've just kind of got to know the kid because um, what will work for one kid, I mean, what causes discomfort in one kid will not cause any discomfort in the next kid. And so um, some, uh, so you cannot even uh, create rules if you're not united Mm -hmm. because then the parents will undermine each other and refuse to follow through on consequences for the rule Mm -hmm. they don't like. And so then the kid just has the opportunity to play them against each other. So you have to be united before you can create rules. And then when you do create the rules, they have to be very simple, critical rules. What are the important rules? Not like you have to make your bed. That's a convenience. That just makes mom feel better about the house looking good or something. But but what is an important rule is that you, uh, is that you not break the law. You know, that can be one of the rules. Uh, when is that you cannot um, disrespect another person physically, emotionally, mentally in in your home, including yourself? Mm-hmm. And so um, and so uh, so if a child becomes self-destructive, then that is disrespecting themselves. And so usually if it's an issue like breaking the law, the consequence is something that is um, taking away the privileges that you have from freedom. And so maybe not, I I don't like grounding because kids get depressed easily and, um, and uh, it usually doesn't really, it's not that effective, but, uh, but not, 
being able to have the freedom to go where they want to go when they want to go. And not saying that mom's going to be the taxi driver or dad's, you know, they, they can't take the car. They can't take the car. Certainly, if you don't trust the child, then you cannot let the child take the car. And so there are those kinds of freedoms mm-hmm. uh, that um, having a cell phone, uh, I've seen a lot of parents um, go back to the old flip phones. Mm-hmm. For their kids, when their child becomes uh, becomes disrespectful because they're they're using this tool that the parent has provided them in a way that is unhealthy. It usually means they're contacting. They're they're maybe they're using the internet inappropriately on the cell phone, or or spending their parents' money on their cell phone, or doing something with it. That's when you take the cell mm-hmm. phone away. Um, you know, or you know, obviously meeting savor unsavory characters online and, and yeah. going to meet up with them. Yeah, exactly. So so there are times when you want to take this, but if you know the child, if honesty is the issue, then honesty is the rule is one of the rules. You know, if if self destruction is the issue with the child, then that becomes one of the rules. And with something like self destruction or if they're if they're disrespecting themselves, then that is a that's a, a level of care mm-hmm. issue. That means you need uh, more attention and more professional help. And so you would up the level of involvement in whatever kind of family support system you have, like with therapy and with 12-step meetings or whatever you're doing that would give the child more support and uh, and walk the parents through supporting their child in, in their um, remaining. I mean, suicide is such a huge issue with teens and um, and. Uh, and, you know, I know I talk about the stats in my book a bit, but um, it, it's shocking how many kids think about it yeah, as an option. I, I, yeah, that base. statistic really it, jumped out at me, too. It was like 16% right. or I can't remember exactly, but it was a right, lot of right, kids. Right, right. I mean, it's a large percent. And actually, I can't remember the stat right now, but uh, but it's a... But it's a it's a very large amount of you know fewer kids actually commit suicide, and nowadays they're more likely to complete it if they attempt it because they're going to do because guns are so much right. more available, but and the and the kinds of drugs that are available are more lethal, so overdosing and shooting themselves is much more mm-hmm. likely to actually uh, complete the suicide. Was so they're very so the Cutting is no longer considered a suicide attempt. It's a, it's a, it's a self-destructive Self-use. distraction right. from pain. Yeah, hmm. right. And so, and so, it, it's just dealing with whatever that child's. You know, when um, when I work with a family whose child is threatening suicide, and they come in and they say, "Oh, they're just they're just attention seeking." And that, you know, I think, you know, there are two mistakes you can make here. You can fail to get help when their child really needs it, in which case your child will be dead and you're not going to get to do it over. Or you're going to get help and your child didn't need it, in which case you're going to waste a whole bunch of time. You know, I mean, it's just a real easy solution. If they ever say they're gonna, they're considering killing themselves, they need to go to the emergency room and sit there and right. get evaluated. And um, and most of the kids who are attention seeking uh, find a much easier way to get attention if they know it's going to mean sitting all night in an emergency right. room. Right. But if they've done it once, they're not going to want right, to do it again. Before we start to wrap up, it's so fascinating, so much we could talk about. How about forgiveness? Finding a way, you know, Uh, these kids, adolescents are gonna, they're gonna experiment with drugs or they're gonna end up using on a regular basis and to find a way to. Well, and forgiveness is usually, it's, once once you begin to see the light come back on in their eyes and you you're not just looking in this little soulless 
empty mm-hmm. face that doesn't reckon, resemble anything like your child. When you when they begin to become human again, it's it, parents forgive their children almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's it's very easy to to forgive them when their child begins to actually um, thrive. Um, and what most of the pain is about or the anger is about is how much it hurts to think of losing their child. And so they're mad at them for scaring him. Right. And, um, and, and so, and so that's a huge thing and, and they can, that's not usually so hard to forgive. The forgiveness that's the hardest is between spouses or from uh, somebody who feels that their child was uh, the drug dealer that started your child using mm. or the or the um the you know 20 year old big brother of somebody down the street who raped your daughter when she was 14 right. and uh, you know and gave her alcohol to to accomplish that you know those kinds of forgivenesses are very mm-hmm. hard but they're really necessary to be able to for us to be able to go mm-hmm. on you know, you just can't no. carry that kind of uh, misery in your in your heart. Yeah, no. and 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 not be focusing on it all yeah, the time. It's pretty unhealthy to carry that around, for sure. Right, right. Um, so let's see. It tell us a little bit about, I guess, where we can learn more about your book, uh, and and about you. Well, uh, you know, there is so much more yeah, in the book. So and, uh, more. When I wrote the book, <laughs> right, right. But w- when I wrote it, I really tried to write it as mm-hmm. me. So there's a lot that's very personal mm-hmm. in the book, and um, and I try to talk that way too. That it's this is not about me being. I, I, you know, on the one hand, I will claim it that I am an expert in this area, but I'm an expert that I've I've kind of. I've kind of earned that in various ways by being really a stupid <laughs> parent in some ways, and by uh, and by making some big mistakes, and I'll own that. Um, but the, but the way to get the book, well, the book is available online, and you know the normal kinds of uh, avenues. Uh, there is a I have a website called AnnetteEdens.com, mm-hmm. and it's my name is spelled. It, everybody else spells my name. Right, and I spell it wrong. I understand this. It's A N E T T E one N, and so if you consider Annette with two N's, is the way most people spell it. And so then people really get lost trying to find me somewhere. But uh, I think for the most part now, search engines are 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 getting it. You know, it, the website you can get to from uh, from uh, monsters to miracles dot com, monsters to miracles dot net. AnnetteEdens.com. I mean, there are a lot of ways that it'll all end up at that website. Um, and I, uh, I write a blog on the website and, uh, love to hear from people, um, about what they think about it and, or questions. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, sometimes I'm very prolific and I'll write two or three blogs in a week and then I may skip two or three weeks. And so I'm getting better at pacing myself (laughs) with that. That's hard to do. But, and, 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 yeah, and then I, and I have a Facebook page for Monsters to Miracles, okay. so that's uh, an easy one to find. But those are some ways to to find me, and um, and uh, you know, I'm very interested in what people's questions are and comments, and you know, and 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 I may have completely left out some perspective that somebody is going to need to enlighten <laughs> me to that I would. Welcome. I absolutely welcome. All right. Yeah, and I'll have all those links on our show notes, so if they end up at Excellent. Our, our website, they can find that really easily. And um, yeah, there's so much more okay. in that book. I I really enjoy reading it, and um, yeah, I've already recommended it to <laughs> several parents. Have you yeah, really? Because yeah. it has a lot you know, of great stuff for those. Real hard questions, especially as kids start to get older. 
And I'm starting to think about how to deal with it with my three and a half year old. I'm like, oh no, this well, so it's this so, great. Yeah. It's so wise for you to, it's very wise yeah. for you to do that because it's so much easier <laughs> to sort of build in some of this stuff as you go. It's not, it doesn't feel really natural when right. they're little. It, it for most people, for some people, it's just sort of the natural way of doing it. But um, you know, for most many, it's not. But uh, but the book when I um, I, I was intent on trying to write it. You know, the big book of Alcoholics mm-hmm. Anonymous is uh, 174 or 176 pages uh, and and really spells out the most brilliant uh, program in so few right. words, so <laughs> right. few pages. And I thought, you know, you don't have to write a thousand pound uh, tome to be able to, to make your point. So... Um, when I wrote this book, the first time I wrote the first chapter, it was like 45 pages long. <laughs> and I thought, okay, no chapter can be more than about 10 pages. And so I, I just kept cutting and cutting. And so I hope that people find it readable uh, yeah. and not repetitive. Yeah. No, it's so, great. It's very readable. It's Michael. Definitely. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, thank you. And um, just a couple quick questions before we wrap up. Yes, We've been yes. talking for a while, but um, okay. what do you like to do for fun in Texas? I know you like oh, to adventure. Yeah. I I do like to adventure. I'm getting kind of old for adventure, <laughs> but uh, my my dad who who died when he was 92 used to say, "Do you know how old you are? You know, you got to stop doing that <laughs> stuff." But um, but I like to uh, I like to do outdoor <laughs> things. Um, I am I, I do. I do sort of a, I like to be creative, so I do some beading and jewelry making and drawing and um, sometimes sewing and stuff like that and gardening. And But then I like to get on my mountain right. bike and go riding around. And uh, yeah, so I just do, a, you know, what does everybody do? I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> like moving. <laughs> moving and being outdoors, that's perfect. I love, that's what I right. love to do too. Right, right, right. What kind of, yeah. what, what music gets you going in the morning? Oh man, you know, I, I like, I like so many forms of music. The music, the only music I don't like is the music that's like demeaning right. to people in some way. Or, or just sometimes, sometimes if it's just too sappy, sometimes country music is a little hard <laughs> yeah. for me to, for me to go, you know, it's sort of like, um, but I like, uh, I like some rap and I like, of course, my era of music is all, um, I was in high school from 60, uh, from 60, I graduated from high school in 67. Oh, right. So, um, so you can imagine, you, you know, know, the, the Beatles, Beatles yeah. and the Stones and yeah. But then I was in college and then my, you know, I, I really got into stuff like, um, Moody Blues and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And, and then of course the, maybe, maybe my very favorite is Pink right. Floyd, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm all over the place. I like Pink Floyd, too. I have a bunch of the old vinyl albums. It's fun to to play. Oh, really? That's very cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you so much. I just, anyone listening, if you're a parent of a teen or a preteen, even a three and a half year old, you need to check out. (laughs) <laughs> uh, a book from Monsters to Miracles Parent Driven Recovery Tools at Work um, highly recommended alright well thank you so much Annette for joining thank you. it's been wonderful thank you so right. much it's been a pleasure oh man what a great interview I hope you also got some golden nuggets out of our conversation. I know I did. But thanks again for listening. And please, if you haven't already, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast service and subscribe. Leave a review. Let me know how I'm doing. I really want to know. Also, head on over to my website to get free goodies and info about things like Camp Recovery Elevator and my new kick-ass free sobriety course. A free sobriety course is an eight-day email and video course that will take you or someone you know step-by-step through the process of getting and staying sober. And please feel free to send me an email at james at recoveryinnovators.com if you have any questions or thoughts. I can't wait to hear from you. 
And in the meantime, keep on living the dream, healthy, sober, and free. Thanks for listening. You can learn more at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com.